Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Risky Behavior, where no subject is off limits. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy a beverage with us as we explore controversial issues and answer your health and wellness-related concerns, ranging from nutrition and exercise to sex and prescription drugs. I'm here with co-host Dr. Shetha Chakraborty, who's a national media risk expert, as seen on CNN, the BBC, Fox News, and more. But don't just think this hour is all science as usual. After four seasons as a regular guest and food scientist on The Dr. Oz Show, Dr. Taylor Wallace, who the Huffington Post calls the nation's premier food and nutrition guru, will help me loosen lips and spill tea with special guests that you won't want to miss. Let's jump right into the show. So we're thrilled to have today with us special guest Bill Clanky. Bill is currently the CEO and publisher of SpaceIntelReport.com. It's the leading online space media company for the commercial space industry. Prior to this role, Bill was president and publisher of Space News International. This is so cool for us, Bill, because it's one of those sectors that we just don't have common knowledge about. So we're probably going to ask you some really basic questions. How do you feel about that? Like, is my is my future husband going to take me on a vacation to space? I think that's incredibly possible. <laughs> uh, that's not too far off into the future. If you look at some of the companies that are looking at that right now, I think Virgin is planned on flying next year. Maybe, maybe even the end of this year. So, oh book, wow, book, book that flight right now. Well, you know, we could probably take some of our politicians and put them on that air flight, and they'd be <laughs> they'd be real good on Mars right about now. I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> I guess you want to go deep space with the politicians, <laughs> real true. deep space. Oh my God, there's like gonna be so hole. many space puns. I can't <laughs> wait. Yeah. We it's like 30 seconds in, and we've already got three. Bill, let's start just from getting a little lay of the landscape, what is the sector like? What are the current realities of this industry? Just give us kind of the- Broad overview. You know, the space level view. Sure, it's it's a really exciting time. And uh, if you look at it, it's really changing. Space used to be, you went into space, you got into space to go to space. It's so much more now. And so what you currently have is a bunch of really, a bunch of folks who have a lot of money, entering into the space business, really changing the dynamic and making it more commercial-like business and industry. So you have people like Jeff Bezos, you have Elon Musk or Richard Branson, those types of folks who have now entered into this industry and have changed the whole complexion of the industry. So it really is a very different business than when I first got into 2000. And I'll back up. I knew nothing about space and I especially knew nothing of fake moons, nor do I do not know about fake moons today. But it, it was all about what NASA wanted when I first got into the space industry in Right, 2000. that's what we assume when we hear it. Not right. at all. And in fact, if anything has changed, NASA has almost, and this is going to be incredibly controversial, not taking a back seat, but if you look at it, NASA had one of the strongest brands in the world. Its brand was only second to Coca-Cola and, 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 and their logo. It's now really more SpaceX. It's more Blue Origin. It's more about those companies that are really doing all no pun intended, the heavy lift to the moon. They're developing all our, our products and, and using and NASA's using them uh, to get there. So you're saying we've gone from public to private in the in a short course of time. Absolutely. And, and I'll put just a finer point on that. It really is more commercial, using commercial practices to lower costs for greater access to the moon and to space. Well, and to kind of give some context around the fake moon comment you know when we were preparing for the show i just 
got super freaked out. I was like, this is so awesome. China is actually going to be launching a fake moon, which is basically like a big mirror from my basic understanding. Uh, it's a, a man-made moon that will illuminate an area that's about 50 square kilometers. It can save about $172 million in energy use that you would get from like street lights and stuff like that. The bad news is, is, you know, the poor nocturnal animals in the area, they don't really get to <laughs> opt in or opt out of opt this. In or opt out of it. <laughs> well, and it's also it could mess up with your circadian rhythm. There's health human effects that we haven't really considered. We don't really know if the light is going to be um, really stay endemic to the region that it's it's saying it will. So there's a lot of unknowns here. And really, what it comes down to, and without getting into politics, despite being based in Washington D.C., but it's just too early into this podcast. What is really going on? Why is China launching a satellite that they're calling a fake moon that's reflecting? Um, or reflecting the light in a way that is perhaps has some nefarious intention that we haven't quite thought about or explored? Is there something to be said about that? So I think that's the bigger issue that you've just touched on. Uh, if you look at it, the United States had such a tremendous lead in space over the course of years. That's no longer the case. And in fact, one of the reasons for the Space Force is to make sure that we're keeping pace with other countries <laughs> may or may not be friendly to the United States. The real question becomes, at what point do we socialize space in the, in the manner that we've socialized the oceans and other parts? What are the rules of the road as we go forward in terms of um, looking at different debris, putting things up there? How much do we put up there? Space is, you know, this, despite it being so large, is really starting to be uh, somewhat cluttered up there. Actually, that's a really good point. I've heard that analogy before, comparing space to oceans and how we didn't really think it through carefully when we started using oceans and the role that oceans played in diplomacy and commercial trade and as our uh, dumping ground. These are the same considerations as we think as space is opening up and becoming more accessible. Why would we treat each other better in space if we're not treating ourselves um, well amongst our neighbors here where we share borders and where we share oceans? Right. So that's a that's something that has been increasingly coming up in the news as SpaceX has been making the headlines. What do you think or Space Force? Yep. Not to confuse SpaceX and Space Force. I've already just done that. I'm sorry, listeners. But tell us a little bit about your take on Space Force then and what you think that's going to look like. So it, it's still being hashed out. And I think that it, it is you know, at one point it was supposed to be a separate organization. It is now more looking along the lines of what the Marine Corps is to the Navy. It is a portion of the Air Force. It's, it's the ability to give a, a specific focus to an organization that may have been more airplane-centric, to look at it and, and acknowledge that space has really become incredibly important. And to the points you made earlier, how do we socialize that? What, what are the rules of the road? Terms of engagement up there. We had such a leadership role, it didn't matter. Now we don't. And the fact is, not only don't we have that leadership role, we're exposed. A lot of our satellites are exposed. And how do we approach that when those are so necessary for our combat and control missions and for our, 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 our soldiers in theater? Well, how do we regulate that? I mean, you're saying that Virgin's going to launch a flight there. I mean, I know I don't want to be on the first flight, <laughs> but maybe in a couple of years. But how do we begin to regulate that Virgin's gonna be flying by our satellites. So I, I think you need to break it down and it goes to how you look at space. What is going to deep space or doing what the Air Force and the NASA does 
and what uh, many of these tourism space companies will be doing that will be doing it, sending you up into orbit, but bringing you back down rel relatively quickly. Right. These are very distinct uses Absolutely. of space. You've got national security, Correct. right? And then you have commercial entertainment purposes. Well, I'll even break that down a little bit further. Please, yes. So, so you have tourism, and I'll take that as a separate entity, and, and you look at tourism. Understand that in many cases, a lot of the tourism, a lot of the opportun opportunities that are happening there are basically testing engines and things of that nature for bigger programs. It allows them to do and test some things that they, they, they can to scale them to, to go deeper into space. That being said, so you now have tourism as one, one bucket, one segment. You also have commercial space. So using satellites, not for military purposes, but for uh, internet service providers, for communications, for other applications that are really important to bring communications to uh, the, the rest of the world that doesn't have it. Right. Okay. So you've got telecoms, Correct. tourism, and national security. Correct. Is it fair to I, kind of I, break it in these buckets? Well, I, I would add one more then, civil space, which is the NASA program. So I would separate NASA and civil space. You do have some people out there who believe that they're one and the same, and they're working together, and that NASA has you know some, some nefarious reasons for doing the things they do. They do not. It, this is about exploration. It's about the cornerstone of what, what the United States has always been about. It's about real research, real understanding research. where we where we fall in the universe. Absolutely. So what has been interesting for you being involved in this sector uniquely for most of your career, if that's fair to say, what got you into it and why did you stay so engaged and involved? What is it that you're so interested in that the rest of us maybe don't know? And if we sure. did, we would also find really interesting and appealing. Actually, I spent most of my career on the West Coast in Silicon Valley. And every conversation you had in Silicon Valley when you sat down with folks was always about exit strategy. It was, you're doing this, how are you going to exit? Are you going to go IPO? Are you going to sell? Or how, are you, how, are you, how are you going to make a lot of money? Came back to Washington, D.C., primarily in information technology, moved over to space. And I realized people are in this business for bigger reasons. It was service to country. It was things that were, how do we explore? How do we find this research? How do we know more about this? How do we explore? And it really made me proud to be a part of it. And these people are really dedicated to this cause. People who could probably make a lot more money in other industries stay in this industry because they enjoy it because they want to do something bigger and better. So that's what's kept me. That's what I enjoy. It's a bunch of great people. If you look at it, we always had a dedicated space working force. Uh, people who are in this to, to, to really move the needle forward. Now we're having more money against it. We're having more people. Mm -hmm like Jeff Bezos, who's, who's trying to make, do bigger and better things. That's the exciting part. The interesting part about this is you may have heard a term called new space. And these are all those new space companies. I disagree with that. There's nothing new about space. Physics remains the same. What changes is the space economy, how these businesses are going to market. What are they doing? How are they doing it? And how they're moving forward. We're a little bit like when we were at the internet beginning of the internet in the 90s. A lot of companies, a lot of money. Do I believe there's going to be some type of burst? Absolutely. And in fact, when I was at Space News, which was part of space.com, we were part of the poster children of dot bombs in those eras. There's going to be a sum of that happening now. But those that succeed as, as like the internet, they're going to do really well and they're going to make a huge difference. And I think we're going to see that continue. So kind of give me some context sure. around this. So in 10 years, we go to the Caribbean on vacation. 
you know, 10 years we're going into space on vacation. Is this one of those things where we could actually land on the moon, walk around the moon for five minutes, kind of like the Galapagos Islands, like you go there, you get your little like, look, you take your pictures, like you're there and then you're, you're gone. Is this like a, we're just going to quasi go into orbit and orbit around for like five minutes and then come back down to earth? Is this kind of like a carnival thing or is this like real? I just got done watching this movie on Netflix where you know, one of the astronauts. I was wondering why you were on Netflix right now. And that's why. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to figure out the name. name of I was the looking movie. for the name of the movie and I couldn't remember it for anything. But it was a really, really good movie. And it Somebody's was based tweeting on a true us story. the name right now, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it was based on a true story. And she comes back down to Earth and she just like has to go back and she'll do anything to like get that moment back yeah. again. It's a really, really interesting take because she basically was like, I'm out there in the universe all alone, but I wasn't alone. So I'm going to once again draw an analogy to the internet. You know, first internet was dial-up, mm -hmm. really slow, things of that nature. I think that's what we're going to see in the next few years. You're going to you're going to orbit. You're going to go there. The timing on it, I'm not sure, but there are there there's going to be times where you will be or there will be an opportunity to go to the moon. Ultimately, there are people who believe that we should move all manufacturing off of this Earth to save it move it off onto other planets so that we can do manufacturing there and then bring the goods back here. So there, there's thinking along those lines. I mean, there's really big thinking relative to way beyond anything I can comprehend. We but. talk about overpopulation, climate change, these massive global interconnected risks. And a lot of talk initially was around these overhauling the global system through geoengineering, advanced technology. And then in the same vein, not too far a leap from there was maybe we just move the entire population off the planet. Just get everyone, repopulate the closest uh, rock that makes sense to Earth. And then we don't have to worry about what we've done to this planet. How realistic is that, though, from your reporting, from your vantage point? I mean, is well, this something that could conceivably happen? Well, and there's no oxygen. On their so well, that's, it's right. a yeah. challenge. I, I, I'm not sure how realistic that is. It's certainly not within the scope in my lifetime or maybe next few generations. Possibility? Absolutely. There, there are some great minds working at this and the things they do are really amazing. But we shouldn't bank on getting everyone off the no, planet. We, we should actually work on saving planet Earth. Just check. It just yeah. needed you to confirm that. Absolutely. Thank you. That, so that, instead that, of trashing this planet, we yeah. trash another one. Is that your, it's, it's, as I'm fond of saying, let's fix the right thing here. You know, let's not just, you know, uh, take a road trip. Kind of on those lines, this is kind of getting, you know, a little bit back to the 90s when we were kids. Are there other life forms out there? Sure. I, I have no doubt. Now, life form takes on a lot of different forms. Right. It's not exactly uh, somebody with, with ears and, and things of that nature. They have found water, uh, which means there's usually some type of organisms. So, yeah, are there life forms? Absolutely. Personally, I think it's so vast there has to be something else out there. We just haven't found it. You know what I think about? Protozoa in a Petri dish cannot fathom what it looks like beyond the Petri dish, and nor do they have the capacity to even right. fathom, right? So who are we? We could easily be the protozoa on planet Earth, and that could be our Petri dish. So it's a vast landscape. Are you from your, again, reporting and vantage point, are you more enthralled with what we don't know? Or is it interesting what you do know compared to the average person who doesn't really have access to this sector? Do you feel that you are more knowledgeable than them in a sense? And does that add to your wonderment? So what I'm trying to say is the more you learn about, the more I learn about something, the more I'm like, wow, I can't believe how much I don't know. 
Do you have a similar kind of takeaway from your well, experience? I'm not sure I'm going to answer the question here. What I walk away with is this incredible hope and this incredible enthusiasm and curiosity for what we're going to do next. I'm not sure what that is. I'm not an engineer, nor do I play one on TV. But the fact is, is that just the things I've seen, the new spacecraft, just the new satellites, just the capabilities they have, it's truly amazing. It's amazing to watch this. And again, you know, having cut my teeth in Silicon Valley, it was always about Moore's law. I think we're seeing that now applied to the space industry. We're seeing that kind of multiplier relative to technology, to things happening. And again, it's, it's a function of the amount of money that's being thrown against space right now. Well, and, you know, kind of to your point, and again, not trying to get too political, but this is Washington, D.C., you know, I think traditionally space has been privatized. And, you know, that is what makes America innovative, the private sector. And so I just find it really fascinating. I think that you're going to see innovation just, <laughs> no pun intended, skyrocket <laughs> like in this because pun of private industry. Pun number five, industry. ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Well, so it's an interesting point. You're absolutely correct. What's driving this is a lot of uh, public monies, a lot of investment by very rich people. Uh, but the fact is, is that a lot, a lot of companies are coming to the realization they can't survive without, I don't want to use, I, I'll, I'll get crushed for using the word subsidies because it's not, but government business, whether it's Air Force, civil space, NASA business, they need that to close their business case and represent maybe the last 10, 20%, maybe even more. So as we kind of move in that direction, we are kind of going back to the future relative to some of this because we are. Companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin are, are surviving and thriving because of what they're doing for the Air Force and the space, for NASA. Okay, so I'm going to push back here sure, just please. a little bit on industry, you know, and I'm very layman in this topic. So, you know, please educate me. We just saw the effect of our missiles that were launched on Iran. And if you look at the video satellite images, I mean, it looks like my Apple computer that I used to play number munchers on in the 1990s. So you're telling me all of a sudden we're going to go to space and all this stuff, but we can't even zone in on a missile? Well, yeah, I think there's there's some things that, that are our legacy. I mean, you look at what happened in the Middle East where they sent th a drone in underneath a, what I think a, a you know, $3 billion radar system, sent it in underneath and took out an oil field or oil tank. There are some exceptions. We are looking at things and it's it is changing so fast. At times, we're not keeping Are up. we getting too ahead of ourselves is what I'm asking. We might. Um, I would look at it from the standpoint of we, we develop these products and we develop them and we don't think about the unintended consequences right. about them. And at times, there are unintended con consequences. Right. Uh, the good outweighs the bad. Right. And we'll continue, I think we'll continue to do it and, and be successful at it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of look about it, look at it like this. I mean, in my area of science, you know, you see genetic modification just exploding, and it's a great technology. Are we ready to genetically modify a human? I don't think we're ready. I think we're going too far when we do that at this point. Is it the same way, you know, yes, throwing people up into space right now? On a note on safety, so one of the first big disasters I studied as a risk scientist was the Challenger disaster, right? And so I want to ask you about that and how far we've come from what happened there in terms of risk, what happened there in terms of public perception around space and putting things out into space and now where we are now. So, so I also took a class at Carnegie Mellon, right? As I did not study computer science, but I was thrown into this class with computer scientists. I studied cognitive behavioral science. So this was one of the requirements. And the, 
the professor was, um, the class was called Decision Analysis Decision Support Systems, DADS, right? And he graded you on an, a symptomatic scale. So if you had to say what percentage confident you were that your answer was correct, and it was a multiple choice test. So if you said you were 100% sure an answer was correct and you got it wrong, your grade on that test was a negative infinity. Okay. And for the geeks out there, you'll appreciate this. It was pretty genius, but terrifying. So my grade, even with all of the curving that he did, was a D. And as an Indian woman (laughs) at age 18 or however old I was during this class, um, getting a D for your midterm grade was more terrifying than the Challenger (laughs) disaster. So did your parents see that D? Yeah. I mean, I got it up because, again, he had to curve all the negative infinities into an F. I was able to get a B ultimately, but it was one of the scariest classes I took. But the man was a genius, Paul Fishbeck, and he was the lead um, investigator on the Challenger disaster and what really went wrong there. And it was just so fascinating to see how unbelievably safe yet how and how many mechanisms are in place to prevent that sort of um you know, a rocket takes off and within seconds just explodes while millions of Americans are watching and all. And the impact that that has is something that, of course, you would have so many backups and safeguards to prevent against because of the uh, of the impact that would have on just not like innovation and industry, but also human, just American morale. So his analysis of that was really fascinating. I realized despite all of that engineering genius that goes into it and the amount of safeguards you still have things like that happen. So where have we come since then from your point of view? And what do we have to consider about safety going forward? How much did that set us back? Well, I think it only set us back a little bit. Uh, You know, the appetite to go to space is still very large and you still have a load of people who want to go. They just had another class, graduating class of 11 astronauts who, when you look at their backgrounds, are are just superstars. It really, they really are amazing people, men and women. So their desire, their 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 quest to want to go to the space, is is going to continue. I think when you look at it, it, it's like most things. The weak link in it is human error. Right. Is people not stepping up, people kind of making judgment calls. And I think there was some of that when they didn't look at things. Did it set us back? I think it exposed some things that people were should have been exposed for, and and that was a good thing because you correct those. If you look, SpaceX just had a successful. Uh, abort uh, they, uh, down, in, down down at the Cape right. uh, a couple of weeks ago. Truly amazing so the technology they used and, and the abort system they had. So I think when you start to look at that and the things that we're really looking at that we thought were impossible, we, we've stepped up to the plate and really have uh, have, have accomplished safety in, in many cases. Yeah, so- I know. I'm super excited. Like, you know, I'm not going to be on that first flight with like Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, and Mike Pence, the first virgin flight up there. I'll, I'll <laughs> be on the second space. or third one. <laughs> okay, Taylor, we get it. You really want to go into space. Yeah, really Taylor's future boyfriend needs to know. I mean, I just know... watched this movie last week. Yes, clear. <laughs> like, yeah. Taylor's future boyfriend needs to know that this is where to propose. So what is it that you see that people are excited about? And what is it that people should be excited about that we don't know yet? Is there something that we can... What What is the scoop that you might have that hasn't really made it into public discourse just yet? Well, the scoop, boy, that's a big question. I'm not sure this is a scoop. I think the exciting part is really going beyond moon and, and onto Mars and the finding out and doing the exploration on Mars that we should have done a long time ago. We should we should have continued the programs. We, sh- we shouldn't have backed off. The, the opportunity now is, is tremendous. There is a lot of support. Uh, a lot of resources being put in, a lot of great people, and, and they're moving forward. So I think the scoop is 
give it a couple of years and let's find out. 2024 is where we're supposed to go to, to the moon again and develop a gateway to go on to Mars. So I'm sure you'll hear it first on uh, spaceintelreport.com, right? I hope so. <laughs> what, um, what is it that you're... Okay, well, one question is, what is your favorite space movie? Oh, gosh. So, um, you know, I, I got to go with one of the Apollo, you know, Neil... Neil Armstrong sat on our board, and he was a, a tremendous man, a, a great American hero. So uh, first man that I just, I not just saw, but about a year ago about Neil was a, a, a great, great movie. Oh, incredible. Yeah. You interacted with Neil Armstrong in your time. Yeah, I did. I did. In fact, one of the one of the stories is uh, we were finishing up a board meeting, and I had to bring Neil back, or Neil needed to get to the airport really quickly. And I offered, rather than waiting for a, a, a car, to bring him there. And as I'm rushing to the airport, I'm about to make this quick left-hand turn. And I realize as I'm about to make this turn that if the car hits us, they're going to T-bone us and they're going to kill Neil Armstrong. So I stop and Neil goes forward and finally he looks at me and basically says, I've landed spacecraft quicker than you've made this turn, Bill. Can we get going? Oh <laughs> go back to, good. I go back to the office and I tell my editor, I said, just had a crazy thing with Neil. And he, he said, what was that? I said, can you imagine... I killed Neil Armstrong. I could see the headline at that time of Space News. <laughs> publisher kills space legend. He goes, oh, no, no, no. Ex-publisher kills space legend. <laughs> You're probably correct on that. So, yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's a wrap for today. Have ideas for the show? Tweet us at Dr. Taylor Wallace. That's D-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. And at Shetha C. That's S-W-E-T-A-C. Thank you for tuning in to Risky Behavior. Until next time.